Hello and welcome to the Use Because podcast. Deeper learning from the best business minds to have ever put pen to paper. Why is it that we still talk about Leonardo da Vinci and Mozart and in more recent times people like Benjamin Franklin or Albert Einstein decades if not centuries after they've died? It's because they achieved a certain level of mastery both over themselves and over some field of study, whether it was art or science or a combination of the two. In his book, Mastery, Robert Greene talks about these particular people and more, and he puts forward ideas as to how these individuals, these people who from a standing start mastered something, whether in Leonardo da Vinci's case, it it was art and science and the combination of the two, Albert Einstein, it was physics, or even Charles Darwin, who many consider to be the father of evolution. How did they become these individuals? How did they actually go about doing it? Did they have some sort of innate talent that just led them down this path, or was there more to it? Well, according to Robert Greene in his book Mastery, there's a very scientific way to approach it. We can learn from these people who mastered what they mastered, and we can apply it to our own lives. So in this book, he breaks it down into six different sections. I'll give you the headings first of all, then we'll talk about them in a little bit more detail. And from there, then you can decide if this is something that you could be interested in pursuing more. The first section he calls discover your calling, the life's task. Part two is to submit to reality, the ideal apprenticeship. Three, absorb the master's power, the mentor dynamic. Part four is to see people as they are, social intelligence. And in fact, he took this particular section and wrote his next book about it. And the next book is called The Laws of Human Nature, which is an incredible read as well. But back to this one. So that's section four, see people as they are, social intelligence. Part five then is awaken their dimensional mind, the creative active. And the final part is to fuse the intuitive with the rational to achieve mastery. So let's go back to the first section, discover your calling. The life's task. So what he says is that everybody's, now I'm kind of riffing off the book itself here, but what he ultimately says in this section is that everybody has a set of experiences and a set of interests. And there's some combination of those that add up into a life's task. Now it's not, this is not in any way spiritual. It's not in any way to do with, you know, trying to discover, you know, what God's, path is for you or anything like that it's about understanding what do my experiences and my interests add up to and ultimately what he talks about in this particular section throughout the whole book is that the the closer you get to understanding your life's task the more niche it becomes because you become the expert in that one very very particular area and one of the people he talks about and actually what's really interesting in this book is that he talks about people not just like da vinci and einstein and other people like that he talks about contemporary people so he talks about people who are studying robotics who you've probably never heard of he talks about people who are architects again you've probably never heard never heard of and he also talks about people who are uh, there's one guy um, called the last american ace that's his call sign he is a uh, combat pilot for the for the u.s uh, military all these people who achieved mastery in their particular areas so he's not just thinking back on these people from from decades or centuries ago 
but people who are actually right now in the process of becoming masters in their own areas how do they go about doing it well the first thing that he talks about is that is their life's task and he says in the book that you possess an inner force that seeks to guide you towards your life's task what you are meant to accomplish in the time that you have to live and the first step towards mastery it's always inwards and one of the things he talks about and i'll just give you one example from this he says if you're not sure what it is that you're into or you're not sure what it is that you you know like most people I have no idea what my life's task is supposed to be I don't know what he suggests you do and there's there's an awful lot more to it than what I'm about to tell you but what he suggests you do is you think back to when you were probably about six seven or eight years old and he suggests that whatever you were into at that time there's probably something in that for you there's probably a kernel of an idea, a, a beginning of a thought as to what you could possibly be interested in. And the reason he picks those age groups is because around about the age of seven, you're starting to get that little bit of independence from your parents, your guardians, whoever it is that's minding it. You're generally allowed more time to do whatever it is you want on your own. And you don't have any responsibilities. Most seven-year-olds, as far as I know, do not have a mortgage they need to pay or a job they need to go to. So they let their mind wander, they go and they investigate things that they're genuinely interested in investigating. So if you can think back, now that's not, it's not scientific, but if you think back to around about the age of seven, it could be age 10 or whatever, and think about what was I interested in, what was I like doing? You might say, well, I like watching TV or I like playing sport or whatever. But really what you're trying to do is get in behind the actual activity get in behind playing sport what was it that you liked about sport did you like that sense of achievement did you like the sense of uh, being part of a team what was it about the particular thing that you enjoyed doing at that age now like I said there was way more to it uh, in the book one of the stories he tells is actually about uh, uh, Albert Einstein and he talks about how, how when he was five years old his father gave him a compass right a north south east west compass not the one you draw the circles with the north south east west compass and little albert could not believe that the needle in this compass was being impacted or being moved by some invisible force and that's where he that's where albert einstein himself that's where he pinpointed the beginning of his interest in physics that there was these invisible forces that he just had no idea about and what in god's name could they possibly be and from that tiny little kernel he just pursued that until he became a master at it. At the age of 26, he basically changed uh, how we think about physics, right, with his theory of, of uh, relativity. And he also talks about Leonardo da Vinci. And again, to get off topic again, another great book on Leonardo da Vinci is by Walter, Walter Isaacson. It's a biography of, of Leonardo da Vinci. And both uh, Robert Greene in Mastery and Walter Isaacson in the biography of Leonardo da Vinci, they both talk about how da vinci had this mind just wandered he like in his notebooks if you if you maybe you know maybe you don't but there are thousands and thousands of pages of leonardo da vinci's notes and his notes were rambling not rambling in a in a chaotic way but rambling in a way that he would go from looking at how water would in a river would fall around a rock and then start to wonder well how come a fish can swim faster than a bird can fly because water is heavier and denser surely the fish should be slower but in fact, he's not. A fish in water is faster than a bird is in the air. And then he might, beside that, have a note that says, investigate a woodpecker's tongue. Like, he just had these crazy notes. He just let his mind wander into all these different areas. And for da Vinci, there was no separation between 
art and science. To him it was all the one. He would never make a distinction between the two. So that's the first thing that Robert Greene talks about is to figure out what it is you should be doing, right? Which is <laughs> easier said than done. But in the book, he talks in a lot of detail about how to go about finding that or how to discover what your life's task might possibly be. And then once you've discovered that, which is obviously straightforward enough, uh, he moves on to the second one, which is submit to reality, the ideal apprenticeship. And he says that after your formal education, you entered the most critical phase in your life, a second practical education known as the apprenticeship. Now, a lot of people will think of, of, of apprenticeships, something to do with plumbing or, you know, uh, uh, working in the trades. But an apprenticeship, and it's something Malcolm Gladwell talks about in his book as well, is, uh, is the 10,000 hours. And if you break down, break down 10,000 hours into like an eight-hour day, it basically works out as the same as an apprenticeship, which is, you know, six, seven years kind of thing. And he says, in, the, in this ideal apprenticeship, right, so an apprenticeship, it's, it doesn't have to be to do with plumbing and electricity and uh, working in a trade as a bricklayer or something. It could be an apprenticeship in anything. It could be just deciding to learn something right from scratch. But he says that in the process, you will master the necessary skills. You'll discipline your mind and transform yourself into an independent thinker prepared for the creative challenges on the way to mastery. And he gives examples of Charles Darwin, how he was completely directionless for the first probably 25 years of his life. Had no idea what he wanted to do. His father was quite domineering and wanted him to become um, a clergyman, I think, if I remember right. And uh, he decided that's just not what he wanted to do. And he ended up going on a an adventure, on a boat, basically, uh, to the Galapagos Islands. And his job was to, I think if I remember, again, I'm, I, I'm trying to remember this right, but I think Charles Darwin was, was tasked with um, confirming that God had a hand in um, the, the, you know, the animal kingdom and that kind of thing. And obviously Charles Darwin then discovered the exact opposite. He said he discovered evolution, basically. And that became his his apprenticeship uh, he learned patience he learned uh, critical thinking and he learned it all pretty much by himself so that's the the example he gives of uh, the ideal apprenticeship and then he breaks the apprenticeship down into uh, three steps or modes as he calls them and he says step one is deep observation the passive mode and again to talk about charles darwin he observed for literally years just all different insects um, animals um, birds all sorts of things everything he could he could find to observe he was deeply interested in and step two then is skills acquisition the practice mode is to go and put these things into practice and that's what, again what charles darwin did he would look at a particular species and see slight differences and, and they again if you I'm kind of, uh, I'm making this up a little bit, not not making it up, but I, I don't remember it exactly. My understanding of the Galapagos Islands is that uh, there's animals on one of the islands that is slightly different than animals on one of the other islands. And by examining the two, you can see how they both um, evolved to suit their own habitat, even though that you, you can trace back to them being, uh, having the same an ancestry, um, which is a very sim simplified version of what happens on the Galapagos. And then step three is experimentation, the active mode. This, so this is the three apprenticeship phases, the, the experimentation or the active mode. It's gradual self-assertion and experiment, and it's overcoming fears. So again, it could be anything. You don't have to be the next Charles Darwin. It could be to do with working in human resources. It could be to do with becoming the best salesperson or a great author. It could be to do anything that you want it to be. But they are ultimately the three phases. 
deep observation, skills acquisition, and experimentation. Some strategies then that he gives in this second part to uh, for the ideal apprentice. Again, the younger you are, the better this will be for you. But he says that the first thing you should do is to value learning over money. And that's, I mean, if you if you do something purely for the money, the chances of you learning are, are, are slim because you're, you're just going to go where the money is and you get addicted to that money. As much as humanly possible, try and do things uh, to value the learning over the money. Second thing he says to do is to keep expanding your horizons. So much like the way Leonardo da Vinci would have just let his mind run free. He wasn't restricted by anything. So if, again, you listen to, you know, some of the most successful musicians, they take inspiration from everywhere. They don't, they don't hem themselves in with one particular instrument or one particular style of music. The, the, the musicians that are really, really interesting are the ones who pull from everywhere. And this is what he says in his book, is to keep expanding your horizons. And this, the third one, is fantastic. He says, to revert to a feeling of inferiority. And he talks about a guy called Daniel Everett in the book. And Daniel Everett was a guy who was a linguistics uh, master, basically. And I, he went to live with a, I, I could be wrong saying this, I think it was the Pygmy tribe or, or one of the tribes that had, that nobody was able to crack, right, back in the day. Nobody was able to understand their language. Nobody was able to understand their way of life. And he went and he submerged himself basically into their culture and became almost like a child and tried to learn their language as a child. And as it turned out, their language was so strange, their, their understanding of reality was so peculiar that they didn't have words for things that had happened in the past or for things that were going to happen in the future. They only had words for things that were happening right now. And it was only by becoming inf and having an inferiority approach to this particular language or this particular tribe that he was able to, to, to crack it, basically. Because he knew beforehand, he thought, these people, they're, they're simple people with a simple way of life. This will be easy for me. And it wasn't. So that's the third, the third strategy for completing the ideal apprenticeship. The fourth one, trust the process. Trust that if you put the hours in, get through, and he talks about this in the book as well, get through those those parts that are really boring, that are really laborious, to feel like you're just treading water. Trust the process that if you continue to deliberately practice whatever it is you're trying to master, you have to trust the process. The fifth one then, move toward resistance and pain, right? which is easier said than done, but try and do the things that scare you. These are all the things that... You know, you see them written on pillows. You see them written on uh, on those inspirational Instagram posts. But they're actually true. Move towards the resistance and the pain, right? Try and try and challenge yourself. The sixth one, then sixth of seven. This is still the strategies for completing the ideal apprenticeship. Apprentice yourself in failure. And he talks about Henry Ford, who basically went bankrupt twice before he started the Ford Motor Company and became a success. And again, just another great book is a book by uh, an, an MMA trainer called John Kavanagh, who's Conor McGregor's coach. And he says, the name of his book is Win or Learn. Another great thing, if you've ever studied NLP or Neuro Linguistic Programming, they have these, these kind of rules, if you like, rules for life called presuppositions. And one of their presuppositions is that there is no such thing as failure, only feedback. So you win or you learn, according to John Kavanagh, or according to neuro-linguistic programming, you, there's no such thing as failure, only feedback. So think about that, that's a, that's a deep one. The seventh thing then uh, for the strategies for completing the ideal apprenticeship 
is to combine the how and the what. So probably self-explanatory enough, but to, to, so to go a little bit deeper, I suppose, on that, I, what I would say is that if you understand how something works and what it is you're trying to get to work, for example, uh, it's a good way of combining it. There is actually one eighth one, I said there's only seven, there's actually an eighth one as well. He said to advance through trial and error, and there's a great quote from Winston Churchill, if you're going through hell, keep going, right? And he talks about Paul Graham, who I believe was the inventor of uh, Netscape, which, um, and then he became the inventor of Y Combinator, which is a huge investment vehicle for startups. So they, uh, they invest in, in hundreds and hundreds of startups every year. So the that's the second phase of mastery, right? And the third one then is to absorb the master's power, the mentor dynamic. Ultimately, this section is about understanding that life is short. You're better off getting somebody to help you along the way. Somebody Learn from other people's mistakes. That's ultimately what we're talking about here. And he talks about the alchemy of knowledge. So he talks about Michael Faraday, if you are familiar with physics, uh, the Faraday cage and that kind of thing. Uh, Michael Faraday made some huge discoveries in, in science and physics in particular. And he talks about how Michael Faraday ultimately had a great relationship with his mentor, but his me- he, he started to, to move beyond his mentor, and that made things very difficult with him and the mentor. The relationship started to sour a little bit, and uh, he ultimately had to move away from his mentor. So some strategies for finding a, a master, or uh, not a master, a, a mentor are mentioned in, in the book as well. And he gives strategies for deepening the mentor relationship. He says, choose the mentor according to your needs and your inclinations. So talking about gazing into the mentor's mirror, really what he's talking about there is understanding that the mentor's ways might be a little bit strange, um, but you have to kind of see behind what they're trying to teach. And again, it comes back to that whole things might be boring. They might be difficult to get through. But if you have a, a good mentor who's going to challenge you, then that's ultimately what you want to do as well. To transfigure their ideas and to create a back and forth dynamic. So to to take the mentor's ideas, to twist them and turn them in your own mind, um, to challenge the mentor, uh, to make sure that you understand it from lots of different angles, ultimately is what they're talking about. And then he talks about uh, the fourth stage in, in mastery is see people as they really are, social intelligence. And that, and that other book, his most recent book, Robert Greene's book, is The Laws of Human Nature, which is an incredible read as well about understanding how to read people, how to understand other people's motivations and even your own motivations as well. Great book. But he talks about social intelligence. He tells an incredible story about Benjamin Franklin and how Benjamin Franklin himself when he was a younger man he was quite naive and he took people at their word and he got burned again and again and he talks about how i guess today what we would call metacognition to be able to think about your own thoughts he he started to consider himself in these situations why is it that i keep falling for these shysters and these hooksters who are you know pulling the wool over my eyes and promising me the world and i go in wide-eyed and bushy-tailed and, and excited to uh, to work with these people and then like I said, he gets burned every time. So he started to understand his own thought process and to, to start to reflect what other people probably meant by what they said. And he started to have really, again, what we would call uh, a, a high emotional intelligence or a high emotional quotient. And he talks, and again, in the book, he talks about this idea of social intelligence and to, to understand the seven deadly realities. So the seven deadly realities are envy, conformism, Rigidity, self-obsessiveness, laziness, flightiness, and passive aggression.
which are interesting. So he talks about how all of us suffer from those seven realities, those seven deadly realities, and how to spot them in other people, how to spot them in yourself, and what to do. Um, because this will all this will all form part of your mastery. You're you're not going to master anything without doing it out into the real world. And in the real world, there are other people who don't necessarily care that you're on your way to mastery. Um, they've got their own um, things going on. So another great section there. And then the fifth section is about uh, awakening the dead. I will say that again. It's about awakening their dimensional mind, the creative active. So at this point, as you start to accumulate more skills and internalize the rules that govern your field, your mind will want to become more active, seeking to use this knowledge in ways that are more suited to your inclinations. So instead of feeling complacent about what you know, you have to expand your knowledge into those related fields to give your mind fuel to make new associations. There's a great quote that I just remembered actually from Albert Einstein about that, that whole idea of, of one of the things that was great about Albert Einstein is that he had a really, really unique way of thinking through problems. And there's a great quote from him where he says, I'm not smarter than anybody. I just stick with the problem for longer. So at the point where other people would give up, Albert Einstein would just think deeply into the problem. He would visualize himself. Um, he'd, cre he'd create these, these thought experiments for himself, trying to figure out all these really in-depth um, physics problems or physics experiments. And he'd, he'd think deeply into them. But what he found, and you, you might know this about Albert Einstein, that he played the violin. And any time he, he hit a brick wall with a problem, he'd pick up the violin and just play the violin. And then all of a sudden, he just, oh, I, I think I have an idea. Because these associations would happen in his mind. And that's that whole idea of sleeping on something as well. I find this works for me personally, that if, if there's something I'm trying to figure out, some technical issue I'm trying to figure out one of our courses, I find sometimes if I literally go to sleep, it's like your subconscious just kind of works on the problem. Go, oh, I have it now. And I wake up and I think, oh, that's what it is. That's what I need to do to figure that bit out. I'm not comparing myself to Albert Einstein in any way. But that's the idea is to, to, to know that your, your brain has to be free to make these associations. And the way you do that is by continuously learning, learning from books, learning from courses, learning from other people and learning from just allowing your brain just to relax. It's almost like a, a, a tension and a release that I think you need to do, especially with, with work, when you're working on something difficult. 20 minutes of, of deep thought, maybe 10 minutes then of just doing something else, playing the violin, kicking a ball against the wall, having a nap, whatever. Something that just allows your brain to relax and make those associations. Then you increase the tension again and relax again. And those kinds of things seem to seem to be... I, I don't understand it, but the subconscious part of your brain, something seems to work there and to uh, to make to allow you to make those connections. And the final part then of um, becoming a master of something, of, of mastery, is to fuse the intuitive with the rational. And he says that all of us have access to a higher form of intelligence, one that can allow us to see more of the world, to anticipate trends, to respond with speed and accuracy to any circumstance. This intelligence is cultivated by deeply immersing ourselves in a field of study and staying true to our inclinations, no matter how unconventional our approach might seem to others. This approach is about what our brains were designed to attain, and we will be naturally led to this type of intelligence if we follow our inclinations to their ultimate ends. So some of the things he talks about in this uh, final section is to play to your strengths and to have supreme focus and he tells stories about Albert Einstein a woman called Temple Grandin who uh, there was a, a 
a film made about but starring Claire Danes if I remember correctly uh, she is somebody who had huge empathy with uh, farm animals and particularly cows which is <laughs> a random one but it's incredible the story that he tells about uh, Temple Grandin in the book and he says to transform yourself through practice uh, the fingertip feel Cesar Rodriguez that's the, the last American ace that I was talking about uh, the fighter pilot and how he uh, I think he's the only fighter pilot to have three air to air kills right? so I don't know if that's something worth boasting about but he is the only one to have ever had three air to air kills um, at the time of the writing of the book which was in uh, 2012 he talks about uh, widening your vision the global perspective and he talks about the boxing trainer Freddie Roach he talks about submit to the other the inside out perspective and again talks about Daniel Everett there and uh, that and, and so, so on and on it goes I'm just kind of flicking through the, through the book here as I'm talking but on and on it goes um what's incredible about this book if you if you really want my my the reason why i think this is the my favorite book um to have ever been written that i've ever read for me i don't know i think maybe it was just the right book at the right time for me and um, when it came out in 2012 but also it's an incredibly instructional book about how to go about achieving what you want to achieve and even finding what it is you want to achieve I should say first of all and then going and achieving it but more than that it's a really 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 entertaining book it's written in a very like I said a very instructional way but he tells these incredible stories about Albert Einstein Leonardo da Vinci Cesar Rodriguez the, the fighter pilot Temple Grandin um, Mozart um, like uh, uh, Benjamin Franklin the stories of people that you kind of know you'd go oh, yeah I've heard of them before some people you've definitely never heard of and some people you definitely know but the stories are incredible and it always brings it back to and that's why you should x y and z and it's it's just an amazing book if you're interested in uh, mastering something or figuring out what your life's task is i cannot recommend this book enough uh robert green also wrote a book called the 48 laws of power which is um basically about persuasion techniques uh, ultimately it is um very very uh how would I, how how should i describe it very very on the nose um about how to go about being pre we seem to have had some issue there with the sound recording i don't know what happened there i was talking away to myself about the 48 laws of power and it seems i was talking to myself so anyway i was just saying that that book 48 laws of power it's all about persuasion techniques and he cuts straight to the point there's no beating around the bush it is uh it's quite a read <laughs> if you're interested in how to be persuasive and machiavellian about things that's the book for you but the book we talked about here on this episode of the podcast was mastery and for me best book i've ever read probably because it was the right book at the right time for me but if you are interested in mastering something or finding out what your life's task is i cannot recommend this book enough so until next time follow us on instagram follow us on twitter both at use because and have a look at our courses on usebecause.com deeper learning from the best minds to have ever put pen to paper so until next time thanks very much everyone